The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. And this is something that is particularly near and dear to my heart right now um, because three months ago I became a mom and I have a three-month-old little baby um, and a lot of my life changed pretty drastically overnight. Uh, from the way that I spend my time to my sleeping patterns and even the way that my body looks and things like that. So this is not something that I just have in the bag and it's not an issue for me at all. Um, This is very personal to me. Um, So I want to really focus in on three main questions today and I'm hoping that by the end of this we'll be able to answer these three things. So if you're a note taker, This is your moment. The first question we're going to answer is, how do human beings find identity? How do human beings find identity? The second question is, why should we care what God says about us? Why should we care what God says about us? And number three, what does God say about us? So hopefully by the end of this, we will have a better picture, better understanding of those three things. So several months ago, I was listening to my Spotify and a commercial kept coming on. And yes, I am admitting to you that I do not pay for Spotify premium because I am cheap. And if anyone out there also is a cheapskate and does not pay for Spotify premium, you know that the commercials come on (laughs) over and over and over again and you have the same ones. And so this particular commercial came on four or five times before I sort of perked up and started to pay attention to it. And as we're talking about identity, I think that this uh, particular video uh, really sums up what our culture says to us about how to find ourselves. So I want us to take a second and I want us to watch this video and I want you to pay special attention to what this is saying about who you are. whoa, that's pretty intense. And they are just selling computers. So this message is not new to us. You've probably heard things like this a million times before, um, but this is pretty concise, right? It's, it's definitely packing a punch. Um, whether you are listening to music or advertising, whether you are on social media, our modern American culture tells us loud and proud that to find yourself, you have to look inside of yourself and you have to focus on you. The message is be your own hero, be your own confidence queen, don't let anyone tell you otherwise, don't let anyone define you, and uh, yeah, you can be whatever you want, you just have to focus on yourself. Um, The problem with this message is that it is pretty much the opposite of what the Bible teaches us. And if you're here today and you are not in a place where you believe the Bible, um, pretty much any modern psychologist who is worth their salt will tell you that that is not how humans operate. So 
way back in the early 1900s, there was a sociologist named Charles Horton Cooley. And I promise there is a very important point here, so just stick with me. So this sociologist realized that human beings have to find their identity in relationship with other people, okay? They have to be able to bounce the idea of who they are off of someone else. And he called this the mirror self. So if you think about it, none of us have actually ever seen what we look like. If it wasn't for a mirror or a reflection, we would have no idea what we look like. Isn't that bizarre? Isn't that kind of weird to think about? So the idea of the mirror self is you have to have something outside of yourself to see who you are, okay? So I'm gonna give you an example. I want you to imagine that you are the only human being on the planet and you've never met another human. You're the only one. Would you think that you are pretty? Would you think that you're smart? or athletic, or musical? What does that even mean when you're the only person? Pretty in comparison to who? Smart in comparison to what? Okay, so that idea is that we have to have something outside of ourselves to be able to see ourselves clearly and have a frame of reference for who we are. So this idea of the mirror self is very offensive to our modern culture when we are told that we can define ourselves, nobody wants to be told that you have to have someone outside to see who you are. That's very offensive. But I think that this idea resonates with us even if we don't want it to. I think that really at core, when we think about it, this really is true. Uh, this idea of building an understanding of who we are from an outside perspective uh, starts from the time we're conscious. It does not start in middle school or high school. It's pretty much from the time that you're breathing. Um, we walk around and when somebody says we're laughs at our jokes, we start to think that we're funny. Somebody gives us a compliment and we think to ourselves, all right, I think I might be a pretty person. Or this is my color or this is a good outfit for me. Or maybe the world has not been so kind to you and people have insulted you and that has sort of become a part of your identity and you've started to build that into who you are. Slowly, slowly, as we grow and mature over the years, we build a self and this starts extremely early on. So I just wanna reiterate, we have to have someone outside of ourselves to be able to define who we are. I wanna take a second and do something that's a little weird. I want everybody in the room to close your eyes for just a few seconds. Just humor me here. Okay, I'm gonna ask you a question and I want you to answer as honestly as you can. Who are you? Who are you? What words come to mind? Athlete, fashionable, pretty, artistic, musical. Maybe you identify as someone's sister or best friend and that's a big part of who you are. You might also think of words like worthless, pathetic, ugly, or stupid. Okay, I want you to keep your eyes closed. Why do you think these things about yourself? Is it because someone said these things to you? Is it because this is what you want to be? 
Okay, you can go ahead and open your eyes. Thanks for going along with me. Okay, I want you to answer honestly. As you thought through those words, is there a single thing that you thought of that is unshakable? I'm going to give you an example. Let's say you thought of athletic, and there's a sport that you are just amazing at, and everybody knows this about you. This might be a dark thought, but what happens if you get in a car accident, and you break both of your legs, and you can't play the sport anymore? Do you become less of a person? What happens to who you are? What if you think about yourself as someone's best friend? What if you move away? And you don't have that person anymore in your life to remind you that you are their best friend. Or what if you just think, I'm a really pretty person, and you wake up and you have a pimple, and you have to go to school with a big pimple on your face, okay? This system of the mere self makes it really, really hard to have an unshakable confidence when we are defined by the people around us and our culture. The question isn't whether or not you're going to let other people define you. The question is who is going to define you? Who is going to define you? In a system where we're constantly having to build an identity off of the people around us, nothing is secure. Our identity ebbs and flows constantly based on who we're around. If we're in a small pond, we start to feel good about ourselves, we measure up, but let's say your pond gets bigger. All of a sudden, you're not the smartest person in the room, you're not the prettiest person in the room, and insecurity sets in. This is no way to live. You do not want to base your identity on all the people around you. Your identity is no longer a concrete thing, and you only feel smart or beautiful in comparison to other people. The only way that we can truly understand who we are in any sort of concrete way is to allow God to be the person who defines who we are and who gives us an identity that is truly unshakable. Now, if you are anything like me and you have grown up in the church or even just in the South where you've been exposed to the church, you've probably heard that Jesus loves you and you've probably heard some sort of talk about identity before, and you've heard people say that you're a child of God or you're a princess of the king. But I want to ask you, why should we care about this, okay? Most of the time, if I'm honest, nine times out of ten, I hear those words that Jesus loves me and that I'm worthy, and it goes in one ear and out the other, and it bounces off. I want to hit on that question, the second question that I said we're going to hit on. Does anyone remember what it was? Why should we care? Why should we care what God says about us? Why should we care when we hear somebody say that Jesus loves us? Especially when we're talking about an invisible God who most of the time doesn't really seem like he has a lot to do with my life. Well, I want to tell you a little story. In 2020, I was in a really, really hard place. My husband and I were both unemployed. We had moved four times in a single year. We were distanced from our community and our friends, and I felt really lonely. It was not a fun time in my life. And I was kind of trying to pick myself up by the bootstraps, and I was uh, listening to a sermon on a Sunday morning, and it was from my home church, which some of you guys are here from there, Three Rivers. And on this particular Sunday, the pastor was doing kind of a special series 
where people could write in and he would answer a question from the pulpit. So I wrote in a question and this pastor is somebody who I have looked up to, who I really value and who is really important to me, who's been sort of like a spiritual father in my life. So on this particular morning, he's going through the questions and he pulls up my question and in just a fleeting instant, he says, oh, this is from one of my favorite people. And he moves on, answers the questions, and the sermon continues. But you, I cannot tell you how impactful and how personal and how touching it was in that moment to have a man that I esteem so highly say that I was one of his favorite people. I was like, write it on my tombstone. I am Mitch Jolly's favorite person. Um, I was touched. I was really, really touched. I was moved. And I think especially because I was not in a season of life where I felt very known and I did not feel like really valued by very many people. So I just want you to think for a second, if a single person, if a man, if a pastor can make me feel that way, can call me out as someone who is seen and special and known in a second, how much more should it absolutely blow our minds when God, our creator, calls us, brings us from death to life, calls us his own, and knows us by name? If all, you know, all the messages of Jesus loving you, all the messages of you being God's child go in one ear and out the other and have no impact on your heart, you have an esteem problem. No amount of saying the same thing over and over and over is going to have any impact on you. If you do not care who God is, if you do not know him and you don't know the depth of his character, the depth of his love for you, and honestly just how cool he is, I can stand up here all day long and I can tell you how great you are. But if you don't know me and you don't trust me, it's not going to mean anything. It could be, I could be the cashier at the grocery store telling you that you're great. But instead, we have a God who created us and who created the person that you're so desperate for approval from, who calls you beloved. You were perfectly made by this God, and you were perfectly made for him. Genesis 3.8 says that Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God in the cool of the day. How beautiful is that, that we had that level of intimacy with this God? That's how close we were. That's how perfect our relationship was. We were happy to be with him, content in his presence, because he really knew us and loved us. But your sin has separated you from him. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses. Dead. A dead thing can't do anything for itself. It is dead, limp, and decaying. That's not really a compliment you're going to hear in advertising these days, that you are dead, limp, and decaying. But through Jesus, because of Jesus, and in Jesus, we can be reconciled to him. We can be loved by him and called his child. Romans 5.8 says, But God proves his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in Christ, nothing, 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 nothing can take this love away. And that is who you are. Romans 8.38-39 says, 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is very different than what our world tells us. Very different. Hear me clearly. You cannot define yourself. You are not enough. You're not perfect. You are not cool enough. (laughs) You're not pretty enough. All of those things are fleeting, and they are capable of being threatened. The message that tells you that you can define yourself pretends to give you freedom and liberation, and it brings you death. It will keep you trapped in a cycle of constantly needing people's approval, of oscillating between dangerous pride and crippling insecurity. It is no path, no path to take. Don't you realize how much pressure it is to have to define yourself? Don't you realize how sad (laughs) and crippling you feel when you have to be your own confidence queen? How overwhelming to imagine that it's up to us. You do not have what it takes inside yourself to be truly independent of other people's opinions. And you don't have to build your identity on how confident you feel day to day. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is merciful to us to reveal our weakness and our need for him. So I want to get really practical because we've talked about sociologists and we're very intellectual. But when it gets down to the nitty gritty, what do we do when our identity is threatened day to day? Because every single person in here, whether you are a believer or not, is going to experience that. So first, we have to recognize that our identity is being threatened. And sometimes this happens in really big, dramatic ways, like the example I gave where you break your legs and you can't play the sport anymore, or you move away and you don't have any friends to tell you who you are. But for most of us, this happens in subtle ways all through our week, and sometimes you can't even really recognize what's going on unless you're really attuned to it. And all you feel is sort of a nasty tug in your heart. So I wanna give you some examples. Maybe your best friend gets a new friend and all of a sudden she's talking to you less and you barely even know this other girl but you hate her guts. Maybe the guy that you like doesn't seem to notice you and you slowly start changing up your style to get his attention. Maybe you meet someone who's better than you at something and all of a sudden you feel the desperate need to focus on what they're bad at to feel better about yourself. Maybe everybody knows you as the life of the party And when you're in a group, you have to be the center of attention to feel good about yourself. Ouch. Maybe you have a constant need to post on social media because you're an influencer, and if all your followers don't know what you're doing, then you can't enjoy yourself. Maybe you tend to be antisocial because being around people makes you feel terribly anxious and insecure. Or maybe you have a disagreement and someone misunderstands you, and you just have to get the last word in to make sure they know that you are right. Maybe you recently became a believer, but you can't stop feeling guilty about your past and out of place around other Christians. All of this is identity, over and over and over again, just playing itself through in a cycle. 
You feel threatened by people around you, so you have to put other people down. You always have to be right. You're influenced by the opinions and pressures of others. You need approval from the outside world. Identity, 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 over and over and over again. By, w by the way, a lot of these were taken from my life, so I'm not up here judging. But here's the thing. When you live with Christ, you have an incredible superpower. Because none of these things that used to threaten you can sabotage your identity anymore. Because at the absolute base and core of who you are, when the rubber hits the road, you know that you are known and loved and cherished and called by name by the God and creator of this universe. When you have to be right, I want you to cling to the truth that God truly gets the last word and you are fully understood by him. When you're sitting in a room and nobody recognizes you and no one's talking to you, you can rest secure knowing that God sees you in that subtle, quiet, embarrassing, lonely moment. When you're influenced by the opinions and pressures of other people and you need approval from the outside world, remember that you have received acceptance from a God that designed the person that you so desperately want approval from. And when not a single person cares about your posts, you can know at the absolute base level that Jesus loves you, that he calls you by name, that when you're sitting out in the audience, he says, that's one of my favorite people. So I want to close with this, and hear me very clearly, you will never win the battle over your identity by searching deeper and deeper within yourself. You have to turn your eyes off yourself as hard as it is when you don't know who you are. I wanna gently encourage you to set the question of who you are aside and focus longer and harder on the identity of Christ. Who is Jesus? And there is a weird paradox that as we focus less on ourselves and more on the person of Jesus, who we are slowly comes into focus. And I wish it happened overnight. I really do. But this is a lifelong process, okay? As you take your eyes off yourself and fix your eyes on Jesus, I promise you that this pursuit is worth your time and you will slowly feel things like pride and insecurity fall away. And that doesn't mean that it won't rear its ugly head, but it means that you will have promises to cling to when those insecure moments come. If you are in this room and you've never taken hold of Jesus, if you've never submitted your identity to him, these promises don't apply to you. And I want to urge you today to grab hold of the hand of mercy that is extended to you. He's calling to you now. He is asking for you to come to him and to be his and to come from death to life because he knows you and he loves you. There's no you apart from him and you will spend the rest of your life trying to build an identity for yourself that other people are always threatening and you will spend the rest of eternity separated from the presence of the one person who truly knows you and loves you, the one person in whose presence you are truly yourself.
I want to end by reading Psalm 139. And you guys probably have read this before if you've been in church, but I want you as much as you possibly can to try and hear this with fresh ears as if it is written to you and about you. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.